Good morning, everyone. Students, you guys good? You guys still awake? You ready to go back to Colorado? Listen, parents, um, I ask our students to come back on Sunday and to give you a taste of camp because I thought it would challenge your heart and bless your heart. If these students and their passion for Jesus have encouraged you today, would you let them know it? Just all of you who are sitting kind of in the back half of the service. Guys, thank you so, so, so much. You know, I never wanted to be anything but a youth pastor. When God initially called me to ministry, I thought, God, like I only want to minister to students. It's where my heart was. It's where my passion really still remains. And you say, Christian, why did you, like, why did you ever become a pastor if you thought God called you to minister to students? Um, after doing two or three youth camps like this one and coming home to our church, I realized that the vast majority of students did not stay at the spiritual level they were at at camp. They reset to the spiritual level of their home. And I thought, someone has to get the mom and dads fired up. And God, if you want me to preach to the old people, um, like I will. I would rather, I would rather minister to the students. Um, but mom and dads, listen, it's your job now as the spiritual leaders of your home to, to match the speed of your kids and to get a little bit ahead of them. Please don't pull them back. Please don't let them come into your house. We talked night one at youth camp about complacent Christians and sinning Christians and how we needed to be sanctified Christians. And a lot of these kids said, I don't want to settle for less than God's best for me. But you and I both know they're coming home to very busy parents who would say probably their faith is marked by complacency. And some that they would say maybe their faith is marked a little bit by some sinful things that they're involved in. Mom and dads, for the sake of your kids... For the sake of the next generation, I want you to lean in spiritually. Whatever it takes today for you to recommit and match their level and keep going, it'll be really hard for them to do it without you. Amen? So please dig in. It was like the greatest week of our church last week. Uh, All these kids in Colorado with a missions team of 18 in Guatemala serving in the Guatemala mountain villages that we have adopted. The money that your children gave as offerings at our kids camp, our vacation Bible school, built a playground that we opened and dedicated. Uh, You're you're just going to die when you see the footage of all these kids in the village of Lesedras playing on this playground that your kids built. It was just an unbelievable week. And then serve week is coming up next week. So I'm trying to figure out, like, is today the last week of the best week of the year, or is today the first week of the most impactful week of the year, or is it both? And I, like, I think it's both. Today falls right between one of the greatest weeks of revival and one of the greatest weeks of impact that our church is going to have this year. So like, I am, like, I'm honored to just be one of the guys on the stage teaching the Bible today. If you have your Bibles, Matthew 17 is where we're going to hang out. Matthew 17, maybe grab your notes out of your bulletin so that you can follow along or fire up that Bible app or that Journey Church International app. We're in a series called The Kingdom. Jesus told us to pray in the Lord's Prayer that his kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. So we've been studying the kingdom and what it looks like. We're actually in the 15th week of this series in Matthew 13 through 18. We've learned some kingdom foundations. What do Jesus followers believe as a worldview? We've learned, I think my favorite six weeks were some kingdom profiles. We looked at people in the Bible and tried to reverse engineer their faith to try to figure out how can... How can we become spiritually more like people in the Bible? It was a fun six weeks. And now we're halfway through a series called Kingdom Mindset, which basically is this. What is the perspective that Jesus followers have as they look at the world? 
Um, the first three weeks, we learned some really good perspectives. Uh, if you haven't listened to the first three weeks, I rarely will ask you to go back. But if you have not listened to the first three weeks of this series, I want to encourage you to go back because we learned how to trust on hard days. We learned how to have hope in difficult times. And we learned how to suffer like Jesus so that when people watch us suffer, they see Jesus. The reason I think you should listen to these messages is because you're going to have a hard day that you're going to need to trust God in. And you're going to go through a really difficult season that you're going to have to learn how to hope in. And we are going to suffer. And if when we suffer, we suffer like Jesus, it just opens the world's eyes to who he is. So we've learned some powerful perspectives. Uh, If you were not here for those, go download them on your way to work this week. Listen to them. They would be worth your spiritual time. Today's spiritual mindset number four, I think, is going to be a really powerful one. Here's what we're going to learn. We're going to learn that you're not going to see anything in life clearly until you clearly see Jesus. Most of life won't make sense until you know Jesus and what he has said about life and what he said about the world and what he said about the worldview and what he said about eternity and what he said about your past and what he said about your future. You won't see much in life clearly until you clearly see Jesus. Jesus. That'll be the goal of today's message. We always pray before we get into scripture and ask God to speak to our hearts. We're going to do something a little differently today because we're getting ready to enter serve week and go serve our community well. Um, I want to pray over all of you who are getting ready to go serve our community this week as the hands and feet of Jesus and just kind of commission you as one of our pastors to go serve Jesus well. So if you are signed up for a serve project with more than 50 this week, And you and your spouse, you and your friends, you and your small group, you and your family are going to serve. Would you just stand? You're not going to be alone. So if you're signed up for a Serve Week project, just want you to stand because I want to pray over you as we start this service. Just all over. If you're already signed up for a project, I want you to stand. I I do want to say this. If you're not signed up for a Serve Week project, it's not too late. It's not too late to get a backpack and fill it with school supplies. Not too late to sign up to donate blood on Wednesday. There are 50 projects, all different times, all over the city. If you say, I didn't even know we were doing this. I want to serve in the community on the south side, kind of our atrium as you leave today, the community impact booths there. You can stop by and say what's going on and figure out where you can serve. But let me pray for those of you who are going to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our community. God, I pray for all these who are standing, that Lord, you would allow their hands to do the work of Jesus and their heart to represent the love of Jesus in our community. God, I pray that as they serve thousands of hours of community service this week, that no one in the community would thank God for journey, but that everyone in the community would thank God for Jesus. God, I pray that they would not see the church behind what we're doing, but that they would see the Savior behind what we're doing. Give them strength, give them energy, give them impact as they serve this week. And Lord, as we try to clearly see Jesus today, open our eyes and open our hearts to hear from you. That's our prayer. We ask it today in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Matthew 17 is where we're going to read today. I don't know, students, that there's any better section of Scripture to read after we come home from camp than Matthew 17. I think it'll make a lot of sense to you in just a minute why that is. Here's what Matthew 17 says. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and he led them up on a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. 
When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, Why then do teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. So last week we started the message by having you circle the first three words that we read. I need you to do that again. Last week the first three words were from that time when we talked about the seasons of discipleship and the life of a Jesus follower. Come and see, come and follow, come and die. Today I want you to circle the words after six days. Because after six days sets us in the direct context of Matthew 16, 28. And without this phrase and this connection, Matthew 17 doesn't make sense to us. We need Matthew 16, 28 because six days before Matthew 17, 1, Jesus said something that means a lot to Matthew 17, 1. You say, what did he say and what was that? In Matthew 16, Jesus told his disciples he was the savior of the world that God had promised. He also told his disciples that he was going to start a movement to bring hope to the world that would be called his church. And he told them he would inaugurate all that by being crucified, buried, but that he would raise again and his disciples would suffer. But suffering for Jesus would help you really understand what life is all about. At the end of that, he said this in Matthew 16. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Somebody say kingdom. Kingdom. Okay, here's what I mean by this. Um, Everybody say kingdom. Kingdom. All right, now we're on the same page. Um, That's what this series is about. The kingdom of God. And here we see Jesus say very plainly, some of you are getting ready to see the son in his kingdom. We're in the 15th week of this 17-week series, and now we are in the most the 13 most important verses of this series because we've been trying to learn about the kingdom, but Jesus says, y'all getting ready to see it. You're going to see what me in my kingdom looks like. I'm going to show it to some of you. Now, what I find kind of ironic about this is in Matthew chapter 16, the enemies of Jesus asked specifically for this, and he told him no. In Matthew 16, 1, Jesus was kind of calling some people out for being religious, but not spiritual. And they ask of him in Matthew 16, 1, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they came and they tested him by asking them to show them a sign from heaven. They demanded, before we follow you, you need to prove to us that you're from heaven. And Jesus said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that for you to follow me. And what's interesting is that those who demanded a sign got nothing. But those who walked by faith, not needing a sign, they got exactly what the Pharisees were asking for. They got a sign from heaven. So here's the big idea of today's message. Those who faithfully walk with Jesus by faith, meaning like we trust his promises before we need proof. Those who faithfully walk with Jesus by faith are able to see Jesus clearly. And as a result, they're able to see everything in life clearly. Because once you see Jesus clearly, you see everything clearly. The people who demanded a sign before they would follow never followed. But the people who followed without a sign saw exactly what they needed to see to understand the world. 
This big idea kind of reminds me of that quote that the great C.S. Lewis has. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen. Not just because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. I believe in Christianity just as I believe the sun has risen. Because when I look at Christianity, I don't just see Christianity. It lights up everything. Because I understand Christianity, now I understand everything. This is one of those quotes that the kids at camp would like take their phones out and they would take a picture of the screen instead of writing it down. Because like, that's a good quote. I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen. Not just because I see it, but because by it, it makes sense of everything. So today's message is about clearly seeing Jesus, not just so we can see Jesus, although that would be enough, but because by seeing Jesus, we see everything. So as we walk with these disciples on this quest to see Jesus clearly, I want to take you to Mount Hermon in northern Israel, kind of southern Syria. I took this picture that's going to be on the screen behind me of Mount Hermon in January of 2020, the last time our church was there. It's 9,232 feet above sea level, and that is snow on the top. There's a ski resort at the top of the highest mountain in Israel in the Middle East, um, and they were skiing that day. Breckenridge, by the way, is 9,600 feet. So this is a place in Israel that's got the altitude of about Breckenridge. This just happens to be a leisurely six-day walk from Caesarea Philippi where Jesus had told his disciples, some of you are going to experience something outstanding. So many Bible scholars believe This was the high mountain where the transfiguration occurred. And as the disciples stood on this mountain, three of them with Jesus, their eyes and their hearts were opened in a way that let them see Jesus clearly and serve him powerfully. My goal for our congregation today and those of you watching online is to head to that mountain together in our spirit so that we can see Jesus clearly the way Jesus wants us to see him in Matthew 17. He said, you need to see the Son of Man in his kingdom. Okay, what's that look like, Jesus? Good question. Let me give you six pictures of the Son of Man in his kingdom. The first thing we see is glorified Jesus. We see glorified Jesus. We see the spiritual, supernatural, eternal, divine nature of Jesus come to life on this mountain. We see a picture of Jesus as he would have been in Genesis 1 and 2, as he will be in Revelation 21 and 22. And we are reminded that Jesus is supernatural, that he's spiritual, that he's eternal, and that his job is to be the mediator between God and humanity. We see Jesus in all of his spiritual light. The Bible begins with the story of God in love with humanity so much that he created them to be with him. The Bible ends with a story of God recreating a broken world because he loves humanity so much and he wants to be with them. And in between, we read the story of corruption that becomes redemption through the life of one person and his name is Jesus. So in this small moment, we see the glorified picture of Jesus and we're reminded how much God loves us. And comes to us. Look at Matthew 17 verse 2. There Jesus was transfigured before them. He began to look heavenly. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. When you look at glorified Jesus. You need to understand that's what you were created for. You were created to be a spiritual being. With a supernatural connection. To the divine God of the universe that you lived in relationship with forever. Until you know that's Jesus' role in your life, you won't see him clearly. But once you realize that's his role in your life, you don't just see Jesus in really, really white clothes. 
You see him on mission. And Romans 8.34 says, Jesus Christ who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is right now standing at the right hand of God and he's mediating for you. You say, Jesus on this day in scripture was hanging out on a mountain. What's Jesus doing today? He's standing right before, right beside God, telling God how much he should love you. Not because you're perfect, but because he's perfect and you trust his perfection. And not because you haven't been punished for the dumb things you've done, but because Jesus died on the cross so you wouldn't have to be. Every moment of your life, Jesus is saying, God, I got this one. I got this one. That is glorified Jesus. And that's what Jesus does for you and I on a moment by moment, day by day, week by week, year by year basis. We also see Moses and Elijah. Which reminds us spiritually that Jesus came to fulfill all of the law and the prophets. You say, what does that mean? If you're in here today and you're Jewish, you probably have a Bible that you call the Hebrew Bible. It has 39 Old Testament books in it. In, In Christianity, we call it the Old Testament. But those 39 books try to answer this question. Here's what the law and the prophets were written for. A guy named Moses at one point was standing before God with the people of God and he had two big questions. Why are we here and what is our purpose? And God reached back to the distant past and let me say, said, let me tell you about the very first days of creation. That's the law, first five books of the Bible. And then God reached into the distant future with the prophets. Let me tell you how it started. Let me tell you how it's going to end. The law and the prophets were to tell the story of what had been and what would be so that everyone was able to answer the question, why am I here and what is God's purpose for me? And Jesus is the only thing that makes the distant past connect to the distant future so that we can live in peace today. So we read in Matthew 17, 3, as his clothes were all shining white. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah. And they were talking with Jesus. I don't know if Moses was talking about the distant past. Hey, remember when? I don't know if Elijah was talking about the distant future. Hey, remember what's coming. I don't know if they were saying in a few weeks you're going to go to the cross. I don't know what they were talking about on that mountain. All I know is to clearly see Jesus, you have to understand he is the only thing that makes the distant past Make sense of the distant future. He's the thing that connects it all and puts it together. So much so that after Jesus was crucified, buried, and resurrected, he's walking a seven-mile journey from Jerusalem to a village called Emmaus with two of his disciples that were mourning his death. And they couldn't figure out what was happening spiritually. And it said in Luke 24, 27, I think, that Jesus walked up alongside him and he said, "Um, what are you talking about? And they said, oh, we're talking about Jesus and others. And it said, beginning with Moses... And the prophets, Jesus explained everything in the Old Testament that had been written about him. See, it's impossible to understand your past or to trust God with your future without Jesus. And I would encourage you, those of you who are not Christians, one, thanks for being at our church. You're always welcome at our church. But I would encourage you, like I have, to study almost every other major world religion and find out if there's another world religion that better connects our past to our future with the present peace of God than Christianity. Jesus is the one who does that for us. So we see glorified Jesus. We see Moses and Elijah. We also see the glory of God. 
We also see the glory of God. Like the glory of God is often physically manifested, made present in a cloud. God in scripture is often seen coming in a cloud. So we see this cloud descend according to Matthew 17, 5, while Peter was trying to interrupt, because it's what Peter did, a bright cloud covered all of them. What I love about this is that this cloud symbolized, listen carefully, that God wanted to be close to his people. A cloud in scripture always symbolized that God and his people were connected. For those of you who don't know the whole Bible story, the story of God's people, the people of Israel, was that they were enslaved in Egypt for about 400 years. I want you to think about the mindset of people who've been in slavery for 400 years. America turned 246 years old this year, last month. Imagine if you did your 23andMe DNA and were able to track it back 250 years. And every grandpa, grandma, great-grandpa, grandma, aunt, uncle, all of them were slaves. And then you knew that for the next nearly 160 years, your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, down to about your great-great-great-grandkids would be slaves. Imagine how much that would impact your psyche and you have a picture of the people of Israel. And God delivers them. But they are broken people. And as they, as they get to the desert... They don't have their masters who provide food for them anymore, so they're looking for another master, and they're like asking Moses and then his brother, like Joshua, like, who's in charge of us? Who's going to help us? Who's going to take care of us? Because we were slaves, but at least slaves with masters. Now we're like, we're not slaves, but we have no masters. Who's going to watch out for us? Moses is like, God will. And they're like, we need to see him to trust that. So God said, okay, I will come down and be with you, and every day I'll travel during the day with you in a cloud, and every night I'll travel with you in a cloud of fire, They were people scared to death who wanted to know that they had someone watching over them. So God said, I'll be there in the cloud. My son Christian turned 21 last Sunday. Uh, We'll leave for Liberty to take him to Liberty at 5 a.m. Tuesday for his junior year of school. And when he was little, did any of you have one child who would never stay in their own bed? Like any, any of you have like that child? Christian was the child that when he went from the crib to the big boy bed, um, like no matter where or when he went to sleep. In the morning, he was right between Danielle and I. Like, he was just that kid. That didn't even stop until we got him a dog, and finally, he stayed in his own room. But when Danielle and I, when he was really little, Danielle and I would have to take turns. We'd fight with each other on who had to lay in the floor in Christian's room until he went to bed. Like, any of you ever remember doing that? Like, like we'd put him in bed, and then we'd just lay there until we heard him, like, breathing deep enough that we thought he was asleep, and then we'd, like, begin reverse army crawling out of the room as quiet as we could. And nine times out of 10, he would wake up and say, wait, don't go. And he'd be like, oh no. And then Danielle and I five's like, it's your turn, it's your turn. I wanna watch Sports Center. So I need to wash the dishes. Like who gets to lay by the kid tonight? Like that was the game. That was the people of Israel. The people of Israel were so afraid that no one was watching over them that they would get up in the middle of the night and peek out their tent and say, is he still there? During the day while they were working and journeying, they would have to look up and say, is he still there? Like the glory of God is a big deal because it reminded the people of Israel that God was near to them. The prophet Nahum described this way, described God this way. He said, the clouds are the dust of his feet. Remember when you look up, he's always just right there. So the presence of God in a cloud was a really, really big deal to the people of Israel. It it meant that God was with them. And Jesus is the thing that convinces us that God wants to be with us. But we also have not just the glory of God, we have the testimony of God. 
We have God not just giving his approval to what Jesus is doing, not just saying, hey, Jesus, good job in your ministry, but we have God saying, you need to listen to his authority. So I don't just approve of what he's doing. I affirm that he has authority. So look at the second half of verse 5. The cloud hovers over him, and it says, A voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased, period. We've heard this before. This is what God said when Jesus was baptized, according to Matthew and Mark. The crowd and those near heard it. Jesus adds a sentence, or God adds a sentence. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. In three short words, God affirms the authority of Jesus and his truth in our lives. Now, what I find interesting and ironic is that one of the most powerful men in the Roman Empire, a governor named Pilate who was over the region of Judea, that was, they would always send their best over the region of Judea because they were always concerned about getting disconnected from northern Africa. So they'd send their best to the region of Palestine or Israel. When that man stood before Jesus trying to figure out who Jesus was and what was going on in his heart, he asked Jesus this question, what's truth? What's truth? I can't figure life out on my own. What's truth? You have one of the most powerful men in the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago asking Jesus to define truth to him. And now in the American Empire, everybody lives their own truth. We just all get to decide your truth, my truth, his truth, or her truth, their truth, blah, blah, blah. Everyone has their own. If everyone has their own, nobody has any. Amen? Like the truth is either the truth or it's not the truth. And your truth can't be different than my truth. So we have to find the truth. And God said in Matthew 17, it's Jesus. He's the truth. Listen to him. He can tell you what's best for your life. He can tell you how your past is forgiven. He can tell you how your future is secured. Listen to him. He is the truth. One of his great friends, a disciple named John, would write a letter that we have near the end of our Bible, known as the letter of 1 John. As a church in October, we'll take five weeks to walk through the letter of 1 John. The whole letter is written to convince Christians they're really Christians because they were trying to wonder, how do I know if I'm really a Christian? And he says in 1 John 2, 3, here's how you know who really knows God. They follow his commands. They're obedient. Here's how you know who really knows God. Jesus gets to determine truth. If you say, I am a Jesus follower, but I live by my truth, the Bible would say, no, you're not. Because here's how we know who are Jesus followers. They live by Jesus' truth. Amen? So we see not just the glory of God. We see the testimony of God saying, You've got to listen to Jesus. He is the truth. But more than the truth, we see as we continue to look at this number five, we see this spiritual forerunner present in Matthew 17. And here's what we're going to learn about the spiritual forerunner. We're going to learn that the goodness of God never hides the grace of God. We're going to learn that God never shows up and makes himself available for your past and your present and your future without telling you he's coming because the goodness of God never, is never hidden from because of the grace of God. Like God wants you to know what he has offered you. So we read in Matthew 17, 10, this, the disciples are walking down the Mount of Transfiguration. The disciples ask Jesus, why do teachers of the law say Elijah must come first? Like you said you're the Messiah, but it says Elijah comes before the Messiah. How's that work? 
Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah comes. He'll restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah's already come. And they didn't recognize him, but they've done everything they wish. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. They're like, oh, wait a minute. So before God ever shows up, he always lets people know where he's going to be? Because the goodness of God is never hidden because of the grace of God? It's like, yep, that's what it means. I told our students this week on the first night of the camp, regardless of what they thought, if they were going to have an encounter with God in Colorado, it was not because they went to Colorado seeking God. It was because God brought them to Colorado because he was seeking them. You see, God was looking for us way before we were looking for him. And what we learn is the goodness of God never hides the grace of God, but he announces it in Jesus' day through his forerunner, John the Baptist, in the prophet's day through Elijah, and maybe for some of you who are in here today, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, big brothers, big sisters, God has me in position today of a spiritual forerunner saying, hey, the grace of God says you're loved. The grace of God says you can be forgiven. The grace of God says you're known. The grace of God says God wants to have a relationship with you. The grace of God says that God has purpose for your life and he certainly wants you to know that because all those good things he has from you he'll never hide from you that's what the spiritual forerunner tells us you should understand jesus clearly enough to see how good he is to always tell you what he wants to do in your life but number six the most important thing to know about jesus is the crucifixion and resurrection this would be the most important spiritual work the disciples would need to understand. They would not even be able to see the work of Jesus clearly until they saw the resurrected Jesus. It's really interesting that Jesus basically says, as we look at verse 9, he says, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you saw until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. You say, why? Listen closely. I think Jesus is saying this. If you tell my story without knowing about the resurrection, you've not told the most important part of the story. Like, don't tell my story until it's done because the best part is coming. And if you tell everything about my story except the crucifixion, resurrection, you'll miss the most important parts of the story. Remember, this entire conversation started in Matthew 16, 13. Jesus said, what are people saying about me? And the disciples said, well, some of them say you're a great prophet. He was. Some of them say you're a great teacher. He was. Some of them say like you're a great community activist. You care deeply about people. He did. Some of them say you're just like John the Baptist, a great spiritual leader. He, he was all of that. But he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the savior of the world. And Jesus said, you got it. But watch. Jesus said, I'm not just the Messiah. I am the crucified and resurrected Messiah. And that makes all the difference in the world. So don't tell my story. Until you know all of it. Because without the crucifixion, there is no punishment for sin. And without the resurrection, there's no hope of eternal life. But when I add those to my story, this becomes a great story. So a few weeks ago, Danielle and I were hanging out with some of our ministry friends in Turkey who are probably watching tonight in Turkey. Good evening to you all. And we went to the Sumela Monastery. One of the oldest monasteries in the world built into the side of a cliff um, in a way that made it one of the most impressive and overwhelming things I've ever seen in my life. Go ahead and throw it up on the screen if you haven't already. Started in 386 AD, which means about 300 years after the life and ministry of Jesus, about 100 miles from Turkey, or about 100 miles from Russia in northeastern Turkey, there, a community of Christians is building this to worship Jesus. 
And it was unbelievable. But it was weird. Because we were there with a bunch of Turks, who almost everyone in Turkey, if, if they're religious, they're a Muslim, and a, and a bunch of people from Arab nations, because the Arab nations from the Middle East, a lot of them take their vacations along the Black Sea in northern Turkey because it's very cheap and it's way cooler than it is in the Middle East. So we're walking through this monastery that is a, like a, it's a Christian monastery with scenes of Jesus and the Bible. We're walking through this with all of, with all of these Muslims. And we get to this room where they've got a video of how the monastery came about. And believe it or not, it started with the biblical story of Jesus. And I thought, this is fascinating. I'm standing in this room with what I assume were probably all people who are non-religious and or identifying as Muslim. And I'm watching them talk about an angel going to Nazareth named Gabriel to talk to a woman named Mary. And then Mary gets pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And she gets married to a guy named Joseph, even though he's going to divorce her. And they go to Bethlehem and they have a baby. And then they have to flee to Egypt. And I'm thinking... This is crazy. Like, up here in the mountains of northern Turkey, everyone is basically listening to the gospel story. And they talk about Jesus' childhood. They've got scenes of him at the temple when he's little. They talk about his baptism by John. They talk about his three years of ministry. They talk about him walking on the way. It's like it's crazy. And they get all the way to the crucifixion, and they say, Jesus was crucified by the Romans. They hung on his cross, king of the Jews. And then they said, but Christians don't actually believe he died on the cross. And I thought... There it is. And there it is. Because that's what the Quran would teach about Jesus. They believe that God supernaturally rescued him off the cross. And then he sent his later prophets. And I thought, there it is. See, having almost all the story about Jesus, but not realizing that he died for sin and that he raised to life to prove he was God, well, that misses all of the story of Jesus. So when we look at what we need to know about the Son of Man and his kingdom... We can't see anything without realizing that he died for sin and raised for life. That's who Jesus is. And if the big idea is that people who faithfully walk with Jesus by faith begin to see Jesus clearly and because of that they see everything else clearly, I would say if that's the big idea, the action step is this. People who've received a special revelation from Jesus, like they've got to tell somebody else. Once you clearly see Jesus... You want the entire world to see him too. But only after you're convinced that that's your mission. And I want to hone in and talk to our teenagers here for just a second. Because youth camp, for most of you, is a mount of transfiguration moment. It's a time to see Jesus really, really clearly. And I always hate leaving youth camp. Because I know if we stayed at youth camp... Y'all would stay locked in spiritually. And if we come home from youth camp, it's going to be way harder. And I don't feel bad about feeling that way because in Matthew 17, 4, when Peter realized, we talked about Peter all week long at camp, when he realizes what's going on on the mountain, Peter says to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll just put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Peter is basically saying this, God, what you have done on this mountain is so good. I don't want to go home. Let's just stay right here. Because if we stay here, this is going to be unbelievable spiritually. I get to the end of every camp that I've ever been to, and I think if we could stay here, it would be unbelievable spiritually. And I know for some of you, it's going to be so much easier on the mountain with God than it is back in the valley of life. But Jesus and his disciples went home, and you and I had to come home. 
You say, why is that? Here's why. Because once you've been given a very special revelation of who Jesus is, there becomes a special call on your life to make sure that others know who he is too. And that's the truth of these three guys. Say, why these three? Why they get to see Jesus so clearly? Because they all had a special call in their life. Peter would be the first public preacher of the gospel of Jesus on the day of Pentecost. If anyone had to know who Jesus was clearly, it had to be Peter. He had a special calling on his life. So what about James? James would be the first disciple, the first of the 12 apostles publicly martyred for following Jesus. Stephen, a deacon in the church, would be martyred before, but James would be the first of the 12 apostles to have his head cut off because he didn't denounce that Jesus was crucified, buried, and resurrected. And his little brother John would be the last living apostle, and he would be the one charged with writing the last will and testament of Jesus to his church. See, once you really see Jesus clearly... You have a very serious call on your life to help other people see him too. And mindset number four, it's for us, but it's for others. Mindset number four, yeah, you're not going to see anything in life clearly till you clearly see Jesus. Yes, true. It's how we process the things we see. But once we clearly see, we have to tell other people. So let me ask you this question as we close today. Two things. Have you clearly seen Jesus? If not, I don't know what I could tell you more clearly to let you know who he is, how he loves, and what he wants for your life. But if you have clearly seen him, do you yet know what your mission is for him? Because if he has let you clearly see him, it's because he has a very clear mission for your life to help others see him. And if you don't know what that is, you need to search until you find it. Here's what I'm going to close today's service. We always close by inviting our altar up for people to just pray if they want to pray. We have communion stations set up around the room for people who want to take communion. But we've asked our students this week to sanctify themselves, to set apart their lives, to give this school year in particular more over to Jesus than they ever have before. And I told our students at the end of this service I was going to give them a chance to pray with you moms and dads aunts and uncles, grandmas and grandpas, big brothers and big sisters. Some of you, your your students, your parents were in the first service. You might have to pray with your small group leader or friend. But I told our students I would close today's service by allowing them to find their parents, their leaders, the people in their life that are really important to them, and to just kind of gather in huddles across the front of our church. And as a family, commit this year of your life together to Jesus. They can't do it without your mom and dad. So I'm going to invite the band to our stage. I'm going to pray two prayers. One, for those of you who don't know Jesus, I'm going to give you a chance to receive him today, just like our students did if you've never done that. Two, I'm going to pray for people who've seen Jesus, but they still don't know their mission, that God would show that to you. Then three, I'm going to pray for families that together want to say, okay, God, this year you got all of me. And I'm going to let our students go get their mom and dad, spend a little time in prayer. We're going to commission some of our interns for the new year of ministry. And then I'm going to allow these kids, because I haven't done it yet, I'm going to allow them to gather in the front. And we're going to play one really upbeat song so you can see what that looks like. It's a little scary, but it's fun. It's going to be a fun end. So let's do this. Let's go ahead and stand before we pray. It might help our 
students get to you easier. Parents might help you easier get to your students. And let's just bow our heads and pray. Students, don't move yet. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Hopefully no one's moving around across the room. Hearts are open. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, please see him clearly. Jesus is the glorified one. Seeing a picture of him is seeing a picture of God's kingdom. You and God together forever. It's the way it was supposed to work. It was broken by sin. So the law and the prophets were given to us to tell us why it was broken, but how it gets fixed through Jesus. God can be with you through Jesus. God's truth, his will for your life can be yours through Jesus. God never hides his goodness and his grace from you. He wants you to know about it. That's why you're here today. And his crucifixion and resurrection was so that your sin does not have to be judged and so that your death does not have to be eternal. If you don't know Jesus today, all you have to do is open your heart and receive him. You do that through prayer. It's pretty simple, actually. And if God is calling your heart to do that, wherever you are in this room or watching online, heads bowed, eyes closed, you don't have to pray this out loud, but maybe repeat something like this from your heart to God's. Just say, God, I need you. Just repeat it after me. God, I need you. Jesus, forgive the sins of my distant past. Jesus, cleanse me from my past. Jesus, heal me from my past. And Jesus, lead me into my distant future and into eternity. Jesus, today by faith, which means I don't understand it all, but I'm willing to receive what I've learned. Today, I want to say yes to following Jesus. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for being willing to lead me. Today, I want to follow you. If you just prayed that prayer with me with heads bowed and eyes closed, I won't have you raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward uniquely for this. But in a minute, I'm going to tell you how you can connect with our team so that you can let them know of your spiritual decision. If you're here today and you're a Christian, you see Jesus clearly. You just don't know what his plan for you is. Ask him to show it to you and commit to start looking and don't stop until you find it. And then for our students, their families, their friends, their big brothers and sisters, their coaches, their teachers, their small group leaders who want to say this year's, man, it's got to be different. It's got to be different because it's got to be for Jesus. I want to invite students and families to just come spend a little bit of time in prayer dedicating this next year together as a family while our team just kind of worships over you. And after we've had you pray for a couple minutes, as a church, we'll pray together over some of our interns and then we'll have some celebration. So God, move in the hearts and lives of your people. Move in the hearts and lives of families who this year want to press into you together. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.